Howdy, friends. Listen, before we jump in, check this out. We've got some exciting news. As you know, Peter and I work for Bottle Rocket, and we would love for you to join our team. Listen, we're a work-from-wherever company, and we're self-managed vacation. Not to mention, you get to work with great people. Take, for example, Peter and I. It sounds great, right? So if you are ready to do the best work of your life, and join an extraordinary team. Hit the link in the show notes to see our current open positions and apply today. Hello, everybody. This is Peter Clayman. And this is Tony Dosett. Welcome back to Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. I know that we were out last week and you're all waiting with bated breath to um, hear an episode, but we are back in full force and what a great way to come back. Our guest this week is a growth, product, and healthcare specialist with over 15 years in the healthcare space. Most recently, she had served as Senior Director of Innovation and Virtual Health at SCL Health, and she is a master facilitator, thought leader, celebrated speaker, and of course, we're most excited to mention she is now the director of product and strategy for our healthcare practice here at Bottle Rocket. Please welcome to the show, Terry Casterton. Terry, yes. Hello. Yes. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Peter. And can I just have you follow me around, like intro me like that for that's every the, that's the plan. meeting, Tony? That would be wonderful. We bring those little poppers <laughs> that you use at New Year's, you know, and we'll just pull all of them as you walk in the room. So there's confetti. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, Master you're, facilitator, you're thought leader. <laughs> well, hey, today we wanted to talk about something that I think has always been really close to those who are affected by it, but this year more than ever has been ever present, which is the concept of healthcare in the United States and how the pandemic, but not just the pandemic is changing a lot of things with regard to healthcare. So Terry, I think we'll start with just one question, which is from the outside looking in, it's really hard to get a sense of what is changing and how is it changing and why is it changing? What are some of the major forces that are driving so much change in healthcare? Is it all COVID or is it something else? I think it's a great question. It's a lot of, it's a question that many people are, you know, brainstorming solutions around right now because it's, everybody wants to know what is, what does healthcare look like in the post pandemic world? And there's a couple of things I think we can say conclusively about the pandemic. One of which is the pandemic certainly accelerated some trends that were already in play but with COVID hitting, you know, both the U.S. and internationally, it was a catalyst for digital transformation in general, specifically telehealth. Um, I think because of the pandemic, what would have otherwise taken five years to change came about in about three months. Just one example of one of the the big the big changes and hotspots within healthcare because of the pandemic. And then the other, which is less pandemic related, but is also something that is top of mind for everybody, whether you're working in the healthcare system or you are a payer, is this orientation towards consumers and thinking about patients as consumers with choices that they can make about where they spend their healthcare dollars. Um, so I think both 
both the pandemic being a catalyst for a lot of change in the digital space and this consumer lens that everybody is glomming onto, those are two areas that many people are tuned into right now and doing our best to look into our crystal balls to anticipate what this means for for the months and the years to, to come. I, I have so many questions just based on that one thing. This consumerism and this um, idea that you just mentioned, do you think that that changes if we go to single payer? Yes. I mean, yeah. short answer is yes. And then yes, and um, one of the things, and one reason we're tuning into what it means to be a healthcare consumer, whether you work in the digital space or your vendor or your healthcare system is because of the payer landscape. And right now, a lot of patients or consumers have high deductible health plans Mm. because of their insurance. And when your deductible is $5,000 that you pay out of pocket versus $500, you are going to take more likely an active role in shopping for your care and understanding where your healthcare dollar goes. And if we transition from where we are in many, many, many payers to single payer, that changes, first of all, what your deductible is. And there's behavioral economics in play there, right? Like if you have more money, to, you, ha- you are going to be expected to spend more on your own health care out of your own pocket, you will take a more active role mm. in it. And with single payers that, you know, we can make some assumptions about what that might look like, but it'll likely be lower deductibles. And they'll likely mean that there'll be less consumer-like behavior, such as like shopping for the lowest cost 70-inch television on Amazon, right? Uh, You're (laughs) going to take advantage of the Amazon Prime deal or you're not based on what what you have to spend and what the impact is to you personally. If we move to a single payer health plan, there will be more providers to choose from because Mm. most providers will take that payer and there is less personal impact to your pockets, therefore less consumer orientation. That is how I would frame it in terms of what that impact to a single payer health plan would look like for this lens of consumerism in healthcare. Let me ask you, Terry, why is U.S. healthcare so inefficient? Since Tony hit you with the single-payer question, let's ask you all the hardest questions. <laughs> hardest questions. I love it. You guys are going right for, right for the, the healthcare jugular right now. And with that, I need to back up a couple steps and say, okay. yes, there are totally inefficiencies in the U.S. healthcare system. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who's worked in healthcare that wouldn't agree with that. I also want to throw a bone to healthcare providers and acknowledge for a moment just how hard it is to deliver healthcare mm. given the constraints in which healthcare providers need to operate, particularly in the US where we don't have socialized medicine and we're trying to solve for social needs with healthcare solutions. Um, and I think the um, pandemic oh. is definitely a perfect example of just how resilient the U.S. healthcare system can be when it needs to be. Hospitals across the U.S. 
lost out on all of the elective procedures, especially in the first part of the pandemic. There were no margins. They were negative margins, yet their doors remained open and they were innovating in the moment to flex to the needs of patients and the systems in general. So I just want to put that call out there. I think 2020 was a banner year for U.S. healthcare, um, and then come back to some of the inefficiencies because they are certainly out there. Um, so, what you know, since Tony already struck on the single payer healthcare system, I think that's a perfect jumping off point. The overhead when we look at inefficiencies for just managing the the paperwork and claims and billing and who gets who pays what bills and just looking at any typical U.S. healthcare system, the number of people they employ to make sure we understand what the bill is, that we understand for that payer who's paying it, what their contracted rate is for managing those contracts. And then for making sure that payer gets paid and, or the patient pays the remainder for what the payer doesn't pay of those handful of things I mentioned, the overhead for employing and keeping those people on the salary, on the payroll, is creates a ton of inefficiency. And this is, of course, in Terry's humble opinion of the U.S. healthcare system. But the contracting and the overhead related to payers um, is, is overwhelming in and of itself. And then we get into how different specialists and primary care providers and hospitals do or do not work together. Um, just the amount of paper that we still print to get a record and send it over to another provider. So if I'm a patient and I was just seen at a primary care provider and I was referred to a specialist on the other side of town and they're not using all of the technology within the electronic health records to exchange those things electronically, there is so much paper still shuffled around the healthcare system to share information. Um, and a lot of that information is printed out and never read. Therefore, mm. a duplicate set of tests is ordered that was already done. A duplicate medication is ordered that that patient is already taking. Um, those types of inefficiencies are pervasive just because we're not all connected and operating as, as one. And I think you brought up a great point, right? It's important to separate the practitioner of your health from the system that enables that practitioner to practice. Like, they're big difference. So when we talk about inefficiency, we're talking about was it north of sixteen percent of GDP spent on healthcare in the United States? It's a yeah, it's a tremendous amount of money for an outcome that's there are other countries that have better health outcomes. So it's not that the dollars are buying a better outcome. And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about down to the nitty-gritty with your PCP and the relationship you have or the way that you've had a standard of care. Um, we're more so talking about how there's such a large GDP spending difference between other countries, yet there's not a proportionate increase in the standard of care associated with that. Absolutely. But what's interesting about that even, Peter, and I touched on this briefly, that social care versus health care, social determinants of health. Let's just touch on that topic for a moment. That's, oh, we're going big today, Terry. We're, we're going, hitting all the hardest stuff. We're going big, but... The U.S. healthcare requires big thinking, if we want to put a dent in it. 
so social determinants of health, for those who aren't familiar with the, the terminology, that's access to food, your financial security, access to housing and transportation, those things that by and large um, affect our overall health. You know, if you can't buy yourself groceries, you obviously are not going to be in the greatest of health. Um, if you don't have a high degree of literacy, how possibly can we hand you a stack of discharge instructions that tell you about how to take care of yourself after your heart failure diagnosis and expect you to be successful if you can't read it, right? If it's not to your degree or capability of reading. So, but those things, social determinants of health, which have the biggest impact on a person's life expectancy. If you look at the countries you're referring to, Peter, and what they are also providing in addition to healthcare, they are providing social care. And we in the US, that's where the real gap is. And if we don't start tapping into social structures that result in greater health, this gap is just going to continue to, to widen in terms of outcomes and overall health of a population. That's a whole other ball of wax, but it yeah. is certainly representative of just how complex the problems are when we look at U.S. US healthcare. That's a great point. I want to go back to something you mentioned in the very first response, which was uh, telehealth. And I think the concept of telehealth and as you know, has proven itself in 2020, is really, really compelling. The problem I see with it is the same problem, if I can make a parallel, which is bizarre, but the same problem I see with cryptocurrency is that there's a barrier to entry. And I feel like the solutions currently that are in place, whether they're being worked on or not, there's a barrier of it making sense for everyone that should be taking advantage of it the most, which is to say everyone. <laughs> so how do we get past this huge barrier to entry with telehealth, both on a physician's side and then the consumer side like we're talking about? I guess I'll start off by saying that I don't want, I prefer those limitations don't prevent us from moving forward. Um, 100%. We got to keep, keep, you know, chipping away at the, at the adoption rates. And like I mentioned earlier, the pandemic was a huge remover of obstacles in terms of adoption. When clinics and hospitals were having to close up their doors to certain patients or to all patients for some clinics, um, both providers and patients who would have otherwise turned their nose up at telehealth, when it was the only way to get their care, um, we we were seeing the the impacts of that straight away. And having previously worked in a telehealth position, just to illustrate for those who may not be familiar with just how much expansion happened in 2020, you know, we, we went from doing less than 1% of our primary care via video visits or telehealth to doing more than 60% of our care via video visits in the course of 45 days. Um, granted, it's leveled out since then, and it's somewhere around between 10 and 15% across the nation of non-hospital care being delivered in a virtual format. Huge, huge changes. If anybody knows or is familiar with the rate of change in healthcare, it's not the fastest. 
um, not the fastest, but to see that kind of um, impact made in just 45 days and then substantial long-term changes over the course of six months is, is something to, to not, to not shy away from. But getting back to your question, Tony, I think there's a couple of things already in play to support this potential digital divide that's preventing some individuals from using telehealth that should be. One of those, let's just talk about rural areas right now. Um, There are states, I believe Montana is one of them, um, that are looking at how do we get some high-speed internet out there in rural areas so they can not only leverage healthcare delivered by a specialist or primary care provider, um, but also take advantage of other services that now are only available online that they wouldn't mm. otherwise be able be able to get. Secondly, in terms of devices, there are many companies that create, and this goes back to the digital side of healthcare, there are many companies creating kits that are all-encompassing. So if you have access to Wi-Fi, 3G, 4G, 5G, you can take home a kit that has a tablet in it. Um, you get a Bluetooth blood pressure monitoring cuff, a Bluetooth scale. Yeah, one of our ex-customers, actually. Yes, one of those ex-customers, Vivify, right? They they sent this one home. So that you don't have to have the Apple, you know, devices at home or Android. It's an all-in-one thing, and actually, that makes barriers to adoption. It even brings those down more drastically because a patient doesn't have to do anything with their device. They don't have to download apps. They just bust out their kit, put on their Bluetooth blood pressure monitor- monitoring cuff, their step on their scale, and it all works together more seamlessly. Which beyond the digital divide gets to the experience divide, right? And the more we make these healthcare experiences along with their digitally enabled systems, make it super easy for everyone to use, the more adoption we'll see, the more likely we are to have good data to feed good outcomes Mm. to increase the population or the the health of the population, which is the end game here, right? 100%. So Terry, from the outside, it's very daunting to try to approach healthcare differently as a consumer. I don't even know where to begin. I would call myself a relatively more educated consumer and I have no idea how to begin that process. What advice do you have for someone of the digital maturity of Tony when it comes to accessing his own healthcare and being a better consumer? God, it's true though. Oh, that's a good question. So thinking about, I know this about Peter Clayman. And that he takes care of himself, so he's relatively healthy. So we can start with the basics. And let's tie all of this back to an Amazon shopping experience. When you get on Amazon and you're searching for the television that you're going to buy, what are some of the key things you look for immediately, Tony? Oh, uh, she's asking this because I mentioned that I bought a 70-inch before (laughs) we started recording. Um, Well, first, honestly... Size and cost, first of all, and that it has to be a smart TV, which I think they all are now. But So what I was hoping you would say, and you didn't, and that's okay, I will lead you there, is about looking at reviews and ratings. Oh, you know what? Other consumers. I don't know. Is that something you looked for? Of course. So I have the, the, I have the product criteria, and then it's validated with reviews. A hundred percent, Terry. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
what you can be looking for, Peter and Tony, is physicians who give you reviews. And that's becoming more and more commonplace. Some of that happens organically by Google and Yelp and people creating reviews for businesses. And more and more healthcare providers are creating that as a way in which to give you more information at the point of decision making about the physicians that they employ. So that's one thing that you can take advantage of. A second is around pricing transparency. And we are coming of age in a great time because transparency is now something that is not necessarily optional, especially in the hospital setting, in which hospitals are required to a certain extent to be able to to illustrate for certain procedures what the cost is in advance of you actually having that procedure done. It is fairly new. So if you wanted to go to your local hospital and understand what that pricing is, you may need to dig around on websites. Um, But this is pretty customary for how change comes about in healthcare. You start with a baseline requirement that someone like the Center for Medicare or Medicaid Services puts out hospitals, healthcare systems, figure out how to meet that baseline requirement. And it continues to evolve through a couple of years of iteration. So I fully anticipate that within the next few years, pricing transparency and lending itself to someone who's shopping for their healthcare services, there will be many more um, tools available in order to make that a more seamless purchasing journey for, for you, Peter, and for you, Tony. I know we have to get into the final lightning round, but I have one last question. How do we change healthcare? One sentence or less, right? Like if you were to tell the average person out there, how do we go change healthcare? We take care of ourselves. Oh, okay. Well, we tried. <laughs> Tony, uh, lightning round? <laughs> I got to get to work. Let's hit it with this lightning round. Terry, you can only answer with one word, and then we don't touch it. Here we go. In one word, would you please describe how you feel about our current healthcare system? Optimistic. If I could have had two words, it would have been cautiously optimistic. Okay, that's fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a hyphen. I'll take it. But, yes. A hyphen <laughs> For a consumer, as they move through their healthcare journey... What's the one emotion that you hope they never have to feel? Lost. I hope they don't feel lost. And in one word, what emotion do you hope they do feel? Satisfied. Ah, satisfaction. Uh Guaranteed. So final question, Terry. Okay. What non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? That's a hard question. Does it have to be a tangible thing? This is a very free form show in case you haven't right. picked up on that by now. So <laughs> um, the most the most impactful thing has been um, choice. Knowing I have a choice, you know, in life and realizing that circumstances may not be always set up perfectly, that as an individual with all of these thoughts and experiences and a network of interesting people like you to help inform that choice. I always have that. I think it's a underappreciated superpower that we all have. We can make a choice to change our circumstances or our perspective any day. I love this answer. 
it's different than anyone you've ever received, but it's something I'm really trying to jive with recently. And it's something I'm really trying to incorporate into my life and understand more and more every day. All this to say, I really uh, am super appreciative that you have, you agreed to come on the show, chat with us, provide some insight. It's been a really cool episode. So thank you so much, Terry. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Peter. Always happy to hang out with both of you and really excited to be a, a rocketeer and to not only continue the conversation, but to take some of this thought forward into transforming healthcare for everybody that we work with. So thanks.